I'm not going to do that. I've had enough. My hair is falling out. We've done this. We've tried to do this intro 127 times. And I'm I'm not doing it anymore. My name's Chris, and I'm a filmmaker. And 127 times. How about you do it? Do you want me to start now? Yeah. Okay. Please. We're all waiting. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm awkwardly Rick Fox, and I am an aspiring author, and... Here's Ricky. That's the I, worst I, one I've ever I, done. I'm sorry. I'm I would. I almost made that. mine. I'm. I'm the guy who's gonna roll his eyes. The first person who makes <laughs> it. He's Johnny. <laughs> oh man. I'm Josh Birch, an analyst here in Nashville, and I am a flood of blood. Hi, I'm Binge. I'm an analyst here in Nashville as well, and I'm a fake Apollo moon landing. <laughs> and we're opinionated. And today we're watching for our final episode of the October month of spooks. Get, get some snaps for the month of spooks, if y'all don't mind. Snap, snap. Um, for our final episode, we are watching <laughs> The Shining. Rick, Rick just goes, no, screw you guys. <laughs> snaps, really? You literally no. like reached up to the mic and was like, <laughs> no, screw you. <laughs> so your, your hands started no moving, but then you're like, I'm not doing this. My first, in, my first instinct is generally to go towards peer pressure, but... <laughs> well, we are watching The Shining. The Shining came out in 1980 and it has an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, and it was directed by Stanley Kubrick. It stars Jack Nicholson, Scatman Crothers, Shelley Duvall, Barry Nelson, Danny Lloyd, and Philip Stone. A family heads to an isolated hotel for the winter where an evil and spiritual presence influences the father into violence while his psychic son sees horrific forebodings from the past and of the future. Dun, dun, dun. So who, whose pick is this? All right, because this is, like you said, Chris, this is our fourth and final movie for this year's month of spooks. It's kind of our fifth. I mean, sort of. We, we, we yeah. did release it. There was a we had a bonus prequel. Episode. Prequel. Right, a little bonus episode. But as far as the regular, you know, we each pick one for the month. This is our this is our last one. Who's, whose movie is this? This is mine. Okay. And why did you pick The Shining? Uh, partly because it was coming out, and I figured it would be good for our ratings. Um, but <laughs> also because I actually really like this movie. Uh, if you've heard the the It podcast, I am a big fan of Stephen King. Uh, I don't think he's a perfect author Wait, by any means. did Stephen but... King write The Shining? Yeah. Yeah. Oh. And it is drastically See. different from the movie we are about to watch. Huh. He hates the movie. Really? He produced the Shining miniseries. Which is awful. Which is apparently terrible, but almost like a scene-for-scene scene adaptation of the book, from what I hear. In a lot of ways, yeah. It is it is way, way more similar than this is. Now, have you, have you read The Shining? Yes. Okay. So, obviously not talking about it yet, but I'll be interested to hear your thoughts on, you know, whether this movie adaptation of the book does things right because it's a movie. Or if it should have stayed more true to the novel. I will have, uh, I think it will be an interesting conversation on that. Okay. So, okay. So I think all four of us have seen it, right? Yes. Uh, I have not seen it since I was probably like a freshman in high school. Okay. I, uh, this is sort of before I started like really like doing a deep dive into like how to like actually watch a movie. As opposed to just like, oh, I'll throw something on and I hope I like it. And like that was, I didn't want to like engage with it, you know? And yeah. I think that any I, Stanley I Kubrick. Understand. What are you talking about? <laughs> like the way like, you still watch movies, <laughs> Bibbs. That's what he's saying yes. is, is a thing of the past. You know how? You know how you liked Biodome? Yeah, like, yeah. Because I enjoyed in your it. Yeah. <laughs> I love how Biodome is going to be the new like it's Fast, the new and Fast and Furious franchise. Yeah, it just gets referenced in every now, episode. The Fast and the Furious is still the Fast and the Furious. It's it lives a low on pure, no. a low mark of our t- of our time. Here. The, the Fast and Furious is like our Old Testament. Oh boy. Oh boy. Uh. Um, but uh, honestly, like I, I'm kind of lukewarm on it. 
because I, I just, I don't know, I wasn't in the right headspace to watch the movie. So it's, you know, sort of like, I don't really have like a fond memory of watching it. I didn't find it scary. I didn't find it really tense or anything. I just found it kind of slow and odd. However, just through study in school and through hearing about it talked constantly in various other podcasts and video essays, like, I just know that there's a lot of respect for the movie. So I'm hoping that, you know, Maybe the knowledge I've acquired about it will help me to like it more, but maybe not. Maybe I'll have a different opinion. Just give you a greater appreciation for it. Yeah, you know, I I mean, I know a lot about it now, so <laughs> uh-huh. and I haven't watched it in like what over ten years. So okay, know. if I had to describe the your taste in movies that I don't particularly care for personally, like the movies that you like that I don't, they would usually be slow and odd. So yeah, <laughs> you I might actually, enjoy this a lot more. Honestly, I was really surprised you picked this because. I was, if no one had seen it, I was going to be like, I don't think anyone's going to like it because it reminds me a lot of Blade Runner. <laughs> it's very slow. It's got beautiful cinematography. I will be happy. Yeah, but the characters a, are way more interesting. I will it's be got happy a, to talk about what things, are do- what things this movie does right that Blade Runner, in my opinion, did wrong. No. <laughs> still, still a little sore spot for you there, Chris. It's, it's hard. Okay, <laughs> well, so my, my experience with The Shining was interesting because this is the first horror movie that I watched that I enjoyed. Um, I watched this back in college for the first time. And before then, um, any of the horror movies that I'd seen had mostly been gore fests, that kind of thing, uh, which I really don't enjoy. And this was the first one where there was a lot of suspense going on. And I really liked just trying to figure out what was happening, you know, why all these different things are happening in the movie, uh, what's making these turns. And I I really enjoyed that. Uh, It also helped that personally, it's, probably a little mean but i think shelly duvall has a funny looking face uh and so a lot of the scenes that were supposed to be like real terrifying she just looks goofy when she's scared and so it wasn't really that scary for me um that's not a little mean that's very mean <laughs> however also i also accurate. get it yeah. i get it yeah <laughs> there is a reason why she played olive oil in the yeah. adaptation, the live adaptation <laughs> of uh popeye popeye yeah that's the one yeah so so i i really enjoyed this movie I'm curious if now that I've seen quite a few more horror movies, some that I really enjoy, um, I'm curious whether I'll still enjoy The Shining as much as I did when I first watched it, because uh, it could have been just uh, skewed a lot based on it being the first good horror movie I'd seen. Right. So I- I'm I'm curious to see whether I still like it. Well, at least nothing you say said about Shelley Duvall can compare with the terrible things that Stanley Kubrick did to her. So yes, that's oh, true. My Very goodness. much. The true. stories Poor are woman. crazy. Yeah. Ugh. Um, I, I saw this in high school. Uh, I actually watched it as part of a film class I was taking. Um, but you know, obviously some of those stuff was edited out because <laughs> it was not safe for school. Um, let alone work. They didn't work. want the rotting naked woman in school? In no. SFS? Huh. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, there were a lot of, like, it just, it does a really good job, even though it is kind of slow and plotting at times it maintains like interest because there's always something happening. And it also gives you as many documentaries and many people talk about, like it gives you the avenue to just like really dive into the movie itself and some of the outside things that people attribute to this movie. Granted, I don't think we're going to get into that too much, but <laughs> side note. If you like this movie and you have not seen the documentary 1408, you should check it out because it is really Room 1408. fun. Yeah, it's really fun and it is completely bonkers. Hmm. It I've is, never heard of it. It is a documentary. Isn't uh, it 14? No, it's 1238. Isn't oh, it? 
room 237. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, sorry. 1408 is different room numbers. 1408 is another movie. It's a different Stephen King short story that was also made into a movie that I also considered for this spot. But I really enjoyed it, and I've enjoyed it on many rewatchings of it. It may be slow in plotting, but it actually keeps my interest pretty much the entire time. So. I mean, okay. if that's it's it's something I really hate, but it's also something that actually keeps me entertained. Have you have you watched it recently? Uh, the most recent time I watched it was probably two or three years ago. Okay, same boat. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Rick, when was the last time you saw it? Uh, a couple years ago, I watched it with uh, my wife uh, when because I heard she hadn't seen it, and I really wanted her to see it. So, okay. Uh, well, I'm I'm really interested to see if my perspective stays the same. And I know, Chris, you said something similar. Just I feel like my if anyone's perspective changes, mine would probably be the most drastic or static. Well, <laughs> because uh, well, I don't know because actually, like because I kind of have seen I, it multiple times. Yeah, y'all have, have seen it multiple times. Y'all have seen it recently. So if anyone's going to have a change of opinion, I feel like it'd be me because I've had the decade since I've seen it. <laughs> I kind of hope that you really, really hate it just so that <laughs> it'll make the podcast more loud. Yeah, I kind of do too. It's always more fun when that happens. Uh, well, right. are you are you ready to see if it changes? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into it. What do you I killed you with Manny. You did this to me. Didn't you? I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna bash your brains. So we're back from watching The Shining. Yes, that was boring, right, guys? I enjoy it. I really <laughs> no, I'm serious. I really like the pacing of that movie. No, yeah, it, one of the things that I think this movie handles extremely well is tension. That's something we've talked about pretty consistently with the good movies in our month of Halloween spooks this year. Oh, say uh, it right. Well, that's come what on the now. Hell is the that? October month of spooks? Are you right? Yeah, electric that's spookaloo. what it is. Oh, yeah. there we go. <laughs> electric spookaloo. With Get Out, we talked about tension a lot, and I think that this movie is another one that did an excellent job of managing tension throughout the movie, and really doing a very good job of letting subtle things build up that tension throughout the course of the movie. I think I've gotten really good, by the way, at not letting you guys just laughing in the background derail what I'm talking about. I'm glad. I'm glad. No, you, ben still needs absolutely. to get better at not peeking the mic. That's what needs to happen. Yeah. <laughs> Says Chris, peeks the mic, guys. No, <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's your tagline yeah that's me i'm chris peaks the mic i like it actually <laughs> uh, rick you're, you're you're absolutely right though like so much of good horror movies is how do they manage the tension uh and that's one of the reasons i really like the pacing of the shining is because it allows the tension to build slowly um instead of just feeling like a sudden ramp mm-hmm. um and really what what does it in this movie is the sound um, yeah. The, so so much of the tension is driven by the music that plays because it's always very dissonant. It's so eclectic. And, yeah. Like, it, so many mm-hmm. of the like sound beds they just sound almost like they're exclusively percussive, even though there are definitely strings involved. It's very interesting. It's very unearthly. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and 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 it does a really really good job of building the tension in scenes where without the music there wouldn't be any tension. Right. Um, exactly. 
you know, there, there's a scene where uh, they're getting shown around the hotel for the first time and they're going into the pantry. And all of a sudden, just this chorus of strings, violins, and everything else yeah. just starts getting played real sharply, almost like they're tuning up kind of thing. And it just it makes the scene feel incredibly tense, even though nothing happening there is out of the ordinary. I think an even better example is the scene where uh, where Jack is talking to Danny like that scene I think if it didn't have music could be interpreted in a lot of different ways there's a lot of things going on in that scene and a lot of it is conveyed via subtle looks and the way the kid is acting but you could play that in a lot of different ways with different sound design I think and make it come off in an entirely different far less creepy way but because the sound that's in there is what it is the whole scene takes on this extremely threatening tone that is such a good scene like there's so many little details in that scene that just support the themes of the movie so well. Uh, how it follows the scene where Danny sees the twins and they're saying, come play with us forever and ever and ever. And then uh, a Jack is telling Danny, I just wish I could stay here forever and ever and ever. And it's just like, oh, okay. Oh, that that's not cool. <laughs> I'm not comfortable with this happening. Yeah. And just little details like that, which mean on the surface nothing when you look at the whole movie it is actually a great sum of its parts this is way better than i remembered it being i'm glad you really <laughs> liked it honestly when yeah. i was when i was uh younger and i saw it i just thought it was just super weird i'm like this isn't even f- like scary it's just uh, they're they're in a hotel one one guy's dumb and gets stabbed and then he dies outside what a boring movie <laughs> <laughs> And but for whatever reason, this time it just I think the big difference this time is that I dismissed a lot of the moments in the movie because I thought they were overacting and that it was just they were trying way too hard. But it really worked better for me this time because I I clicked much better with Danny because his Mm -hmm. performance the first time I saw it, I was like, man, he's the worst child actor ever. He's just staring at the screen. But he seems wrong. Like there's kid actors don't do that. Yeah. Kid <laughs> actors can't play that type of quiet. Like I'm just going to stare ahead and seem as if there is something actually going on. For whatever reason, I clicked into that a lot more this time around. And I know that there is a theory that the movie is mostly about the theme of abuse and trauma. And I think that if that's true, that that's made very evident through Danny's performance. I thought it's mm-hmm. dynamite what that kid brought. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, I, I, not mostly. I entirely agree with what you just said. Um, I think that uh, the other performance that you really have to bring up, though, is is Jack Nicholson's Jack Torrance. Oh, of course. And this Ugh. is the thing. On the one hand, he did an excellent job at doing exactly what he needed to to make this film what it is. On the other hand, I wonder if they could have toned down his crazy a little bit in the earlier scenes so that it feels more like a gradual step into insanity. Because for me, at least, Jack feels absolutely like just on the verge of being completely insane from moment one. Like there's something about him that feels pent up and ready to burst even then. And I can tell you what it is. It's his eyebrows. His (laughs) eyebrows feel pent up and ready to burst. And and that's just Jack Nicholson. Like he he always feels that way just because of how expressive he is. Well, yeah, I think that if you look at the movies he did before this, though, removing the stigma does do, I think, something to make it seem a little more gradual. Although I would define the earlier scenes as he's a tremendous asshole. And he seems, it seems like there is clearly a lot of evidence to support that he is an uh, abusive father. 
And yeah. that is what's coming out in the beginning. At least but emotionally. Since, yeah, but since we know he's going to go crazy, I think that it also plays off as actually crazy in the beginning because that that's always been there you know that's just mm-hmm. it's just waiting to come out and that's that's what kind of what insanity actually is is you're just sort of waiting for it to pop and that's what makes it so frightening to a certain degree yeah i can i can see that and i can also see how this works to make the movie more effective i just there's a part of me that wonders if you know alternate universe if there was maybe a different actor or they had told him to be a different way and he didn't he felt more normal in those initial earlier scenes if it would feel different going on yeah. and him gradually becoming more and more and more insane through as we well, go I think, at I one mean, point I, I still uh, get the feeling that he does like it is even though he is kind of menacing and a little bit off at the beginning like it is a gradual like oh yes he is see, I, I can understand where it being like more off-putting if he was strictly normal at the beginning and to see you know where he was at the beginning versus the end if there was a very stark difference yeah um it's but i still i still see it and i still think it works great because it is jack nicholson there are definitely steps i don't want to imply that like he's the exact same at the beginning of the movie as he is Mm -hmm. at the end of the movie but for me it's more like going down like three steps of stairs instead of like 20 well let let me ask this (laughs) or would you rather it seem as if he were a totally normal nice guy at the beginning of the movie and then he became crazy or do you admire the fact that he seems at at least that he's probably a bad person already but we're just waiting for that to be fleshed out by the haunted um overlook hotel to a certain degree that kind of gets into if we want to talk about stephen king and his problems with the movie that's really i think at the crux of it because if you read the book you get the impression that yes jack torrance is someone who has been abusive before but he was a very very bad alcoholic at the time and he is legitimately a hundred percent doing everything that he can with all of his willpower to get away from alcohol to be the dad that he wants to be but there that that alcoholism and that abuse is still calling to him and if you know anything about Stephen King, you know that that is extremely autobiographical. Right. Um, and, I, and I don't even mean that in like the sense that there are themes of his life that, that are in there that are similar to his life. I mean, legitimately. He was a hardcore alcoholic. He was a hardcore alcoholic, hardcore drug user who did at points abuse his family. And now that has all been, as I understand it, you know, his, his kids. He, he's, he's made that he, public. He's made yeah. that public. He's apologized to his family. He's made up with them. Like that's Those not. demons are hopefully in his past. <laughs> or at least in his books. But. <laughs> But that's a big part, I think, of why he hates this movie so much, because Jack Torrance is in many ways, to Stephen King himself, put to the page. And to see someone take that story, that very personal story, which in the book has a a, a little bit of redemption at the end. Um, Jack mm. Torrance actually, in a way, sacrifices himself to save Wendy and Danny. And I can't get into exactly how that works without getting into the book, so I don't want to do that here. But that note of redemption is not present in this story at all. And Jack is a raving lunatic. Like, at least if you're just looking at his eyes, he feels that way from moment one. And that is very different from someone who is in a bad place because of bad decisions, but is genuinely doing his absolute best to escape that. And to see yourself portrayed as a raving lunatic who is 
you know, this monster. Cocaine's a hell of a drug. Oh, it is. <laughs> and no one knows that better than Stephen King. Yeah. But to see yourself portrayed that way, especially when it was someone by someone who was as hard to work with as Stanley Kubrick, I can completely understand why Stephen King would hate this movie the way he does. So that's very interesting. And I have a lot of fun trivia about the interactions between Stanley Kubrick <laughs> and Stephen King. However, uh, same question, though. Like, d- does it does it make the movie worse or better? Like, that's the real question, because the, the book is one thing, because it's a completely different medium where you can get in the head of the characters in a different way. But a movie is an entirely different thing. And sometimes you do have to make calls to say, well, if I focus on this, I'll probably end up creating a better visual story. And what I'm asking is, as a fan of the book, medium. as a fan, of yeah, as a fan of the book, do you think that is supported or not supported by this? I think that. The it is a extremely is de- it it really <laughs> is and that's the thing is that this movie is so well executed it's not the shining it's not Stephen King's the shining this is Stanley Kubrick's the shining it is a story that has a lot of the same events a lot of the same characters a lot of the same themes but is wildly different and so to me it's as difficult as comparing uh two entirely different movies and saying which one would be better I, I think that it is possible that if you took a more normal person and had hit that descent into madness be more gradual, it could be better. But I don't want to act as though what is on screen is not a masterpiece and an excellent movie. Does right. that make sense? It, it does. I just I, I come pretty hard on the side that like for the movie – I like that we get a little bit of a hint that Jack's already got problems. And I think that... <laughs> I mean, a little I, bit of a hint is one thing. That's, I, my, I, that's I sort of my point. Though. For me, like in the first few scenes, we only get a little bit of a hint. And then it dials up to two. And that's where we're at for like another, you know, 15% of the movie. Down, it dials up to three. Then it dials up to four. Then, then it dials it up, up to seven. seven. Then I it goes up to nine. To and I then feel, it's at 20. I feel and like it I starts like, off... <laughs> I feel like it starts off at a four. And then it jumps to like an eight when he is screaming cursing at his wife because she walked in the room and t- started talking to him and then it's there at that eight for a couple of scenes and then it just goes all the way and just keeps getting cranked for the rest of the movie well, okay, okay let's let's use that to actually talk about well here's where it th- starts right well, because well, wait hold on i want to i do want to mention before we get past stephen king because okay, yeah. th- this is the funniest shit ever <laughs> so, if you know anything about stanley kubrick and your working relationship with stanley kubrick you're you're going to be in for a wild ride because most people think of Stanley Kubrick because they hear about how difficult he was to work with, with uh, Duvall as like he's just this taskmaster. And that is true, 100%. But he would also talk to everyone. He would go up to the PA and he would just have a conversation with them. And through their conversation, be like, I know how I'm going to direct this scene now. And then he would go back and direct it on the spot, regardless of how it was in the script. At one point, he called... Stephen King at three in the morning and Stephen King answered the phone and goes hello and without introducing himself Stanley Kubrick just goes do you believe in God <laughs> wow what a and started asking like what do you think of the afterlife and ghosts <laughs> and, I kind and of then, legitimately want to have exactly this conversation with Stephen King I think it would be fascinating <laughs> and they they had that conversation and he hung up and Stephen King wrote the original screenplay for the movie, and Stan- St- Stanley Kubrick just did not use it. 
He yeah. didn't even reference it. He just was like, this looks good, but I like what I'm going to do a lot more. And he just did that. <laughs> Which, I want to be fair, Stephen King is not a screenwriter. If you have seen Maximum Overdrive, you know that he is not good at movies. And if you've seen his version of The Shining, the, the TV miniseries, you know that he is not good at film. So it's completely understandable to me that Stanley Kubrick would, be, would take a look at it and go, this is nice, trash. <laughs> <laughs> but, I see that you worked very hard on this. <laughs> but it's not just that he had a better idea. It's that he was constantly changing what he wanted to do with the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's stories of... Jack Nicholson being handed an up, an updated script and just throwing it away because he knew before he got to set there would be another new version of the script. Right, yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine being Stanley Kubrick's secretary? Like Gosh. she's the one who if you don't that know, she is the one who stash. had to do all of those pages of all playing uh all work and no, no play, play makes Jack, Jack a dull boy. boy. She had to do all of those by hand. And that's why there's end of, like you, if you're looking closely, you'll see little mess ups in there. And apparently, that's why he had her type them because he knew that if he tried to intentionally put them in there, there would be too much of an order to it. So he just grabbed an entire ring of paper and just said, "I want you to write this sentence in whatever format you want on all of these." <laughs> this poor oh put upon woman, because you know that is probably the w- least weird thing she got told to do all week. I just cannot imagine having to. Are you kidding? Deal. That took a week. <laughs> yeah, I just real. cannot imagine having to deal with Stanley Kubrick on a day-to-day basis and having to do his bidding. You know, we think when we compare <laughs> when we compare jobs, um, acting is not an especially demanding job. Now, some some actors take it to demanding lengths, but acting in itself is not demanding like a lot of blue-collar jobs are or anything like that. However, I'd be willing to say that working with Stanley Kubrick would be incredibly demanding. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, like... Just, yeah, just, just from some of the horror stories that Shelley Duvall has poor, left poor left Shelley this, Duvall set Scatman that yeah. one scene that took 127 times that's just him opening his it's eyes and crying slightly scene. they did at one point he apparently fell off the bed and started weeping and shouting I just don't know what you want <laughs> because every time like I know this time I want you to open your eyes slightly and cry a little and he's like that's what I'm doing <laughs> oh my goodness it would be it would be an absolute nightmare to work with him. Going oh, back to the so actual funny. movie though. So so we get introduced to Jack and the actually the Overlook Hotel um, right in the opening sequence where we follow him in his car to the Overlook Hotel. Great gorgeous gorgeous Gor- view. Yeah, I mean, he's driving view. through the mountains. It's up, you know, you can tell this is like a scenic resort kind of area and they even mention it later in the movie mm-hmm. that it's like, look, you know, presidents stay here, royalty stays here like the best of the the upper crust, the best of the best. This is where they come. This is a fancy mm. place. Incredibly, yeah. um, and he's interviewing to be the groundskeeper for them. And this is the uh, is it the Overlook, yeah, the Overlook yeah, Hotel, the Overlook for, Hotel, from October to May. Yes, and so they go through his responsibilities. It's you know okay, it's going to be pretty simple. You're just in charge of making sure stuff doesn't break down when it snows really heavy. You know, keep the boilers running, that kind of thing. Oh, and also. FYI, there have been murders here, and people go crazy sometimes. Well, I mean, let's be fair. 
he like you could see some him being like you know i know some people are really superstitious i'm, I'm just gonna let you know like hey some some weird things have happened here in the past a guy did go crazy and murder his his family but i mean like that i, like I can that, imagine I that like hap- you don't have to say that though that's like going to buy a house and the realtor being like also just so you know some of the previous owners complained about ghosts sure but on it's the like, other hand that, do you actually, really have to bring that up it's, but it's on the other hand it's actually that. like it's, something that like in no, it is, in many it, states it like, is it not is, a law is, that you have to tell them about ghosts no no that but actually, it is it, a law that you sometimes have to tell people about murders that have happened in the place and, no state. but in some states and or cities because of certain things like that, law. They, they, law. no like realtors have to disclose <laughs> if there was a murder in the house or if you know people have had like ghost like it's supernatural <laughs> it, things it's a combination of ghosts paranormal. and squatters rights and it just <laughs> yeah. creates this real loophole that's difficult to get around <laughs> look we try giving him an eviction notice but he's just not leaving but he's just he's a ghost he's in the so. attic look we're not doing uh, the Exorcist this year because you're really freaked out by that kind of movie. There's I nothing, am. I don't want to. There's see nothing it. like necessarily like that. That movie is going to hurt you by watching it, but you're freaked out by that kind of thing. Some which, people which would be funny. legitimately freaked out by the idea of sleeping where someone has been murdered. I know, but why do you have to tell him? Because because because, he's, because if because you're that kind of person it. and you find out like you find a newspaper article from 1957 and it says hey guess what in the bed that you were sleeping in somebody <laughs> got murdered that's gonna be way and worse for that kind of person sheets. that's well, gonna no. be way more intense on that kind of person so well, no, telling them also, up front is definitely the right move to make but also like they say like oh yeah he went crazy because of cabin fever that's a thing that happens a lot especially no, 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 that in this, that I get and and so like him saying like hey you know disclosing it and like he did say that like oh yeah like cabin like he had cabin fever you're gonna be stuck yeah. here the whole time it just are you sure that you your wife and your son are okay with <laughs> and that? i like how i like how jack's just like my wife will be fine like <laughs> yeah he's not calling her to i'm ask, pretty sure hey. he says like she'll love it she'll love it yeah yeah Again, and, he's nuts in the beginning, like from day one. <laughs> yeah, and, and and not even just that, but he's he's like, oh yeah, she loves those like ghost things, and you know, like is really like into that. And I'm just like, wow, really? Which, I mean, I if she is, sure, that's fine. I mm-hmm. I didn't read that so much as crazy as I did as like. That's not believable. Impression. You just don't give a shit about their opinions. That yes. is how I read. That it. Is... I could I could see that in the performance he gave, but I can also see I'm a bubbling madman. If I get the chance, I'll murder all the people in this room. No, no. I didn't. Well, I, don't I, get that I think I. Well, I did get that too, but I think really? I. Well, I think I got that because it's Jack Nicholson, and yeah. I and I don't know if I would. <laughs> Jack Nicholson I would weigh would down the, the movie because Jack Nicholson plays crazy I, too well. I'm you know? not saying. Let me be 100% clear. I am not saying this weighs down the movie. I am just curious about what an alternative version could be. Like a Robin Williams, who was considered for the role? That would be as amazing. Was Ro- or as was Robert oh De Niro. And Harrison Ford. Yep. I don't want to see Harrison Ford in this movie. All of those actors I, were turned down by Stephen King. Or not Stanley Kubrick? Are you sure? Because I know King? Stephen King hated the idea of Jack Nicholson in this part. Yeah, I'm. I'm pretty sure Stephen King was the one that turned him down. I, I don't know any. About I don't those know details. either. I just, from what I understand, Stephen King hated the idea of Jack Nicholson in this part for the exact reasons that I'm bringing up. But that would also have been probably after seeing the movie. Though. It's a, definitely a possibility. Well, but Jack I'm Nicholson just, was also 
Stanley Kubrick's first choice. Right. And so he's like, okay, this is my first choice. Here's all my backup choices. You're saying no to all of them. Okay, then I'm just going with my first choice. It's also very possible that he treated those suggestions the same way that he treated the script that like, Stephen King handed him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but um, actually, I would, I, I would kill to be in the universe where... Uh, Robin Williams is the one who's known for this part. Oh, Just like I would kill to be in the universe where it was actually Sean Connery in Gandalf's role in Lord of the Rings. I just want to see that. I don't think it would necessarily be better. I want to be clear about that. I think it probably would be worse. It would I be. just want to see it. Well, and and because you know the here's Johnny scene with Robin Williams would have been <laughs> oh, so good. Cool. Here's Johnny. Well, that would that was an ad lib. That was an ad lib that, that he complete, did. Yeah, I, complete, I know, I know. Oh, so I do want to know like, him, what he would do with what, it. What, he would ad lib in it? Yeah. Have y'all seen the BTS of uh, Jack Nicholson hyping himself up before yes, the Here's Johnny it's scene? Oh, terrifying. It is like just wild. Yeah. Like, What's it, he doing? He's, he's just, just like sitting there's there no getting, way to pumping it. his arms up and down, getting ready, getting like, oh, uh, getting pumped he's just, to go he's just kill a literally woman. going like, oh, yeah, oh, crazy. I'm going to get this axe. I'm an axe man. Like, and that's all he's doing. <laughs> the axe man. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> Oh, man. Maybe we should uh, move past So we're at the first five minutes of the movie so far. <laughs> it's such a dense movie. It well, I mean, is. It to is. be fair, like we, we in, a, in a way, have already talked about the rest of the movie because we've already <laughs> talked about him going it's crazy. Because that's well, most of what well, happens. Okay, okay. So ne- when next... he's talking, is this where Danny first no, no, this gets is a little glimpse yes. of the things that yeah, are yeah, yeah. coming up? Well, no, um, he... he has is having a conversation with his mother, and she said, "Oh, it'll be fun." He's like, "I don't want to go there." Tony, yeah, Dan, me and Tony, Danny, do, is. Danny, Danny yeah, Danny and Tony, Shelley um, Duvall, and and well, here's the thing that convinces me of the theme of abuse in this movie is why Danny acts so low key constantly in the movie because mm-hmm. his little thing with Tony and how when she's bringing up like, does Tony make you do things? Like, where did Tony come from? And that's when he shuts down. He's like. I don't want to do this anymore. That's that's like what happens yeah. to people who've suffered trauma who end up developing dissociative personality disorders. They can't handle the things they've experienced, so they split them among two people that they generate. And I thought that was such a cool thematic thing in the movie to see. And later, I completely forgot that at one point, Tony takes over. Mm-hmm. And he's just like, he's not here anymore. Right. Like, that just weirded me out so much. Did, and, did the kid who played Danny do that voice? Yeah. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that was him. That was a killer voice. because that's such a good actor. Creepy. And, like, and he never really did anything after this. <laughs> he's like a school teacher. Oh, my goodness. That's so funny. Can you imagine <laughs> having that on your resume, though? Like, uh, I was yes, Danny in The Shining. <laughs> now I was Tony. <laughs> But oh, we no. get introduced to Danny and Tony, or not Danny and Tony. Danny, Tony, Danny, Wendy. Tony, and Wendy, uh, and uh, like and Wendy Shelley like, Duvall does a really good she job. She does a fantastic I job. I have nothing against her. I think that her expressions often really play up. They they play well against Jack Nicholson's craziness. Yeah. Um, at the same time, a lot of her expressions look kind of goofy. Just because of her face, she has very buggy eyes. She has she an has extreme a, face in she a has lot a very of ways. Long yeah. face and very large teeth and all sorts of things that make for very interesting expressions. In a way, though, that that sort of made the scenes where she'd be getting frightened more horrifying because yeah. her, she's. Her eyes this, are this even is gonna bigger. Keep, this is, yeah, her eyes get even bigger, and like her her face is literally contorting in weird ways. Not because like just because she kind of already looks a little odd, but because she's physically 
just strained completely. Most actors, when they get in front of a camera, they know how to scream pretty. You know, it's like, ah! and <laughs> even if you're giving it your all, you're kind of also knowing of that you're in front queens. of a camera. Mm-hmm. And because of how hard Stanley Kubrick worked all of the actors, she she she's was just a doing, messy scream. She she's doing something and, that's a lot yeah. more traumatizing to witness. It's a, It just seems more real almost because it doesn't seem real. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I, which uh, okay, so skipping ahead a little bit, uh, Wendy and Danny join Jack as they go back to the hotel, and they start getting shown around everywhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where we meet uh, Scatman Crothers, uh, and he talks a little bit to, after showing uh, Wendy and Danny around the kitchen, the kitchen, and giving Danny some ice cream. He and Danny start to talk about The Shining. Well, b- even before that, like they walk into the pantry at a certain yeah. point, and like all of a sudden, like the music comes up really loud, and we can like. It wonder, sounds like, terrifying. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, wait, what is going on? Like, and you can't hear anything. You can kind of hear the conversation they're having, but while that conversation is still happening, he you turns hear him and looks directly at him and at says, Danny. "Do you want some ice cream?" Mm-hmm. And it's and just like, what? It's like such freaky. a weird thing, and especially after earlier when we saw Danny's vision of the blood coming out of the elevator mm-hmm. and the twins and all that, like, it is very strange the way that psychic powers are portrayed in this movie, because there's a lot of ways in which I kind of forget that that's a part of the movie a lot of times mm-hmm. when I sit down to watch it. Like, it is odd to me that a significant plot point in this movie is that there is a psychic child with a psychic link to a... Outside person. An outside person, a really cool black guy who was the cook at this place and some of the best moments honestly are because of that but Mm -hmm. the psychic element of this movie is so low-key in a lot of ways that it's easy to forget that it's there i like how they're talking like the magic in this moment sort of seems like oh nothing bad's happening but when they're using their powers the music implies that it's horrifying and i like that effect because if magic were real and we would be alien to it it would be horrifying no matter what kind of you know what i mean and i think that's cool i think that's really interesting because it it sort of demands sort of a reverence when it's happening that if it was just like wind chimes because it's something nice happening it, it suddenly it's completely flaccid you know it's just not the same at all it's not it's just not quite the right note for me if i had some understanding of why it should be horrifying when Scatman says hey do you want some ice cream to this kid like then i think i could go along with you a little more but because one that's entirely benign and two it's one of the things that the kid tries to use in order to save his family later and like you could, I guess you could maybe argue that it's that psychic connection that uh, ends up killing uh, uh, Dick Halloran. You know, maybe that's why it's supposed to be horrifying. But there's nothing about the psychic ability itself that should be horrifying in that moment. Well, I think we we aren't really sure that it is actually like a psychic thing. It could and neither is un- Danny. up until up until that point. We aren't shown like. Oh, they actually have psychic abilities. Right, yeah. We we like that yeah, that, I know. that is the what is ominous about it. But granted that it like but it doesn't Why turn, is that ominous? Because, because they, it's, Danny doesn't know what's happening and Danny is our audience surrogate in this scene. We experience the emotions of the scene through Danny in that moment. And Danny doesn't know what's happening at 
all. But, but he, he knows seem... it's completely foreign to him and it's weirding but him out. It's not completely foreign to him. He has done things with his psychic powers on several occasions before. That's how he knows that his dad got the job before they get the call. Like psychic powers are not an oddity to him at the beginning of this movie. But he had never had an actual conversation with he, someone using that ability sure, before. But I mean, and kids that's aren't necessarily out. freaked out by that kind of thing. And again, it's it's just a weird moment and a weird twist on that when there is so little about this to be negative for me. Like I, I get where you're coming from with the oddness of it. Negative. I think it's just like to with be those just, like oh, rising crescendoing violins. I, I don't think it is negative either. I think it's supposed to be I, I I wouldn't say that negative is the same as strange. And I think that it's supposed to come across as like very strange. And because we don't know what's going on, we naturally place fright in there. I mean, I don't get strange to me is a lot of the, the music in this in this movie. I'll definitely go along with that. But it's not the like rising crescendo terror strings that we get in that scene. Like that, that the music in that particular scene it's, is clearly it, made to well, and it's cause the same, terror. It's the same instruments and the same dissonant tempo that you get later on in scenes that are obviously meant to be ominous. Exactly. And so, like, if if he was doing that, and we got like a quick glimpse of the axe hitting the parka and the blood, I'd I'd completely go along with that. Like, that makes perfect sense. It actually fits everything that's going on there. This thing is benign, but he's seeing into this man's doomed future. Cool, I get that. But as it stands... He's literally just asking, hey, you want some ice cream? Which is the like most non-threatening thing possible. <laughs> yeah. But it's threatening if you don't know how the hell is that guy doing that, you know? I mean, I you gotta remember, this kid, this guy's a kid. He Not only is he dealing with otherworldly powers that he didn't fully realize he had or were unusual, but this is the first time they've been used on him in this way, and it's weirding him out. See, him being a kid is what makes it even stranger to me that he has that reaction, though, because kids that I know, like, they will walk into th- situations that are clearly dangerous dangerous having no idea that it's dangerous just because it's new and they have no experience with that no experience doesn't necessarily translate directly to terror yeah but you also haven't met kids who've had visions of elevators flooding with blood <laughs> or kids who've been potentially abused no by their has. fathers and don't have proper and reactions and, and, have, and have a literal imaginary an actual imaginary friend that is living in their mouth and stomach <laughs> That might actually be real, for all we know. At I mean, now. It clearly is real on yeah. some level. Like it may be just the personality that he's created to deal with his psychic powers. I'm just saying that this mm-hmm. this particular moment and the way it's played hits me weird. I don't think it's the right direction to take it necessarily. I would I would agree that it's weird. It hit me as weird too. But I guess that's kind of what I liked about it. So for, for me, it's another it's another instance of just building the tension because you don't know why asking him if he wants some ice cream is so ominous. Like you don't know what about this conversation that's happening or the fact that they're both using psychic power like and what it is is that what we find out later is that it wasn't ominous it's to me like the tension building equivalent of a spring-loaded cat Uh, i wouldn't i wouldn't go that far at all i i think just the fact that it's psychic powers should be in a way kind of scary not scary in the sense that the characters are in danger but scary in the sense that it's the unknown and I, that's what I think makes well, it, it work. If it was more of a factor throughout the movie, maybe I'd agree, but it's not. <laughs> His psychic powers are in no way terrifying, except that he happens to be in a haunted house. Well, except yeah, that the, when the house's it, psychic powers are. Yeah, the house's psychic powers are terrifying. I'll give you that. But the kids aren't. <laughs> well, the kid having psychic powers also renders him able to feel pain in a way that most people can't and shouldn't. Let's, like when the guy gets stabbed later and the kid clearly feels it. 
let's let's step away from this conversation. We've gone around it often enough. What do you guys think of the idea? And it's one that I like for this movie that Jack is also someone who has the shine. It's in in the book. It's clearly evident that uh, it's a genetic thing, like and that they both have that to some well, degree, and, he, and, and it's he stronger also in Danny. That, but uh, his uh, uh, Dick Halloran mentions that him and his grandmother exactly. had conversations. So it is. So. It does make sense that it would be something that is genetic. And what's interesting is if you watch the movie, Jack is really affected by the events that are going on, but Shelley Duvall almost until the very end isn't affected by directly seeing things at all. She's not getting that same level of haunting that you could you could put in there because it's almost she does like see apparitions though at the at very the end of the movie. Yeah. And one of the things that was the idea in the book and may may not have, like may have been an idea in the back of the head but never got put on the screen was that the house was feeding on the powers of uh, Danny and Jack and that's yeah. what by the end made her able to see that because the house had grown so powerful but at the beginning the house needed to feed on these two to get there I really like the idea and I like that it's not brought up I wouldn't want it said explicitly. Well, and, and you bringing it up like I never thought that Jack had psychic powers I thought it was just the house did and was making him crazy yeah well even Scatman even the- Scat what's his actual name Dick, Dick Halloran. Dick, Dick, all right. Even Dick brings up most people do have it, but they don't know how to use it or listen to it. Yeah. And so I think what the way I read it is that everyone who's in the house at the end of the movie has the shining to a degree, but the ones who are feeling it the most are definitely Jack and Danny. Yeah. Because I, it's the house is using it to manipulate uh, Jack. And Danny is using it alongside of Dick to try to get him and his mom to safety. And his mom's sort of just having some extra bleeding out because there's so much shining going on around them that at a certain point, that's actually all she starts perceiving for a moment. The way that I kind of think about it is that Shelley Duvall's character has almost none of it. Jack's character is sort of in the middle of the two, and that's why he's able to be manipulated. He's got enough that the house can get a handle on him, but not enough that he could break free of that or do anything about it. Whereas... Uh, Danny has a lot of this ability and so he is more difficult to control but it still has that ability to get a hold of him and start doing things with and around him I mean Shelly has to have some of it because she she straight up sees the the river of blood at the end but if you think of it as like she has just a very little tiny amount of it like maybe the the amount that the average human being has whereas these other two have a bigger store of it it kind of makes sense i think it, it makes sense of the way that the house haunts the people in this movie so we've covered them talking about the shining the hotel closes up and it, it does a time skip where we're several months yeah in the future at this point and we can tell that some sort of stress has been getting a jack because shelly duvall's like hey come go outside with us and he's like and no he's i'm just, i'm gonna be writing no and he like full-on curses her out, out like yeah, he, he well, this is, I, i'm talking about like in the bedroom he's talking like, about before oh. they go through the maze i mean yeah which right i mean we can yeah. we, we can skip forward I mean, to the part where he's pretty out. cordial in that moment yeah he's all right like you can see there's a little stress going on there like when yeah. he, she's asking you got any ideas and he's like yeah none of them good like there's a little bit of stress going on there but it's not the there's it's even, almost immediately yeah. after followed by the scene where he does lose it on her yeah, it, it, there, it's even sort of implied, I think, that they're kind of having a good time for the most part. Because At the beginning, they, yeah. they mention like, oh, it's 1130. Like, we've been staying up a little too late. Like, it's kind of yeah. good for their marriage at this sure. point. But there is also that little bit of like... Uh, that tension that's yeah. that's constantly building the music. The movie. It, yeah. it, I think it's in the music that there's something underneath everything that's just like starting to rise up. And I love how them exploring the maze foreshadows 
how the rest of the movie is going to go. Because since Jack chooses to not go on a walk with them through the maze, even though he can see the maze from God's eye view, later he has ghosts literally helping him try to kill them, but he just can't. And the reason why is because Danny actually knows the maze. He's literally gone through the maze. And I just thought that was a really cool little Mm -hmm. bit of foreshadowing that worked really well. Definitely. I agree with that. That is is an interesting little uh, tidbit. I also liked how the maze sort of mirrors the actual hotel. Uh, we, we, we talked during the movie about how uh, Stanley Kubrick did build some sets to yeah. add rooms huge to the... Sets. Yeah, huge sets. Um, they went to two separate hotels for some of the bigger scenes. They built some of the individual rooms himself because he wanted certain colors. There's a lot of color theory behind this movie. I don't even know if we're going to have time to get into it. We're definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's really interesting because there have been a lot of think pieces about how the hotel's layout doesn't make sense. And people only thought of that from watching the movie and feeling unsettled by scenes like the tracking shot behind the tricycle about how, like, how is Danny turning? He seems like he keeps He's turning. giving too many lefts. He, he sh- yeah, there's too many lefts. And he should, at some point, he should be hitting the end of the hotel because it's big, but, like, that ballroom's huge and there's not there can't be that many rooms, you know? And... I kind of thought that was bullshit at first, like when I watched it for the first time because I'd heard about that and a friend told me, like, doesn't that seem weird? And I was like, no. But this time it did something completely different to me. And I just, like, started feeling weird watching it. I can't really explain it. I don't know if anyone else felt that way. And it starts off at the first, like, real scene in the movie where Jack is walking through the entrance of the hotel and turns in to go inside the hotel. And the guy has a window in his office. And he's an internal office in the hotel like it's not on a wall it's it's on the inside of the hotel it doesn't make sense like there's so many weird things like there's a scene where he's walking down a hall and this this is kind of a different thing but there's almost a continuity error but it had to have been intentional because he walks by a mirror and there's no reflection it's weird. Like there's there's weird little things. And this is the that thing. Baffle me. In, well, in, in any he, other director, you would assume these are continuity but he, errors. But Stanley Kubrick is so detail focused. He's so insane that you have to sit there and wonder: Is this on purpose? I mean, Can he I built draw those meaning rooms. out of this. Yeah. He, he spent money in the budget to build rooms that he knew would not fit the layout of the hotel. And intentionally has scenes that are designed just to give us a sense of space in the hotel that don't work. And <laughs> it, it, it it's weird. I it, mean, you just – on the one hand, I can absolutely see Stanley Kubrick intentionally thinking, okay, this will build a sense of unease because people will not be able to get a solid sense of the space within the hotel even though they feel like they should. On the other hand, I can also just see it being like, okay, we're going to film this scene here and we're going to have you walking through these halls because we can set it up easily that way. Like either of these theories could equally work in my head. They're both equally plausible. <laughs> I, I'm no longer convinced that the latter is plausible. That's where I was like the, the first time I watched it and when I went through the essays later. But now that I've watched it again and knowing that he built, he didn't cheat to get a room. He didn't cheat uh, a shot to just like force like, hey, well, we got to shoot in this room and it's not going to make sense if we don't see them walking up. So it's just going to be a weird little thing. They built rooms intentionally in places where they could have just (laughs) chosen a different room. You know, they could have just done something else and it would have worked fine. But they 
they spent money for, on this weird continuity error and no one called him out on it and he got away with it. And that's just, that's too weird to me. If you want to see more of this theory, go watch Room 237. Oh, man. <laughs> this exact thing is talked about by the lady who thinks there's a minotaur in the, in the hotel. There's what? a minotaur? Excuse me? Yeah. No, oh, I'm man. Yeah, that the I don't think it's a... I don't think it's a... No, it's like a legitimate thing. Like the actual, Oh, yeah, minotaurs hotel, live in mazes. Yeah, they do. Live yeah. in mazes I don't the hotel think it, is I don't think she thinks there's, there's a, a literal minotaur in there, but I think it's... It's like a figurative, the evil presence in the, the hotel is like a minotaur in the way that, that it's described. That would kind of weirdly make sense if that was heaving and hawing at the end. Like, I don't know. I'm just There's saying, a little something there. Go watch Room 237. It's on Netflix last time I checked. Sure. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I'm genuinely interested in it now at this point. We do get to the scene where Shelley Duvall come, or Wendy comes up to see how Jack's doing and to... Tell like, him she's, oh, she's going to make him some... Yeah, yeah. This is so tense on an entirely normal human level this thing happens daily like you could go to a house in the neighborhood we're in right now i bet and we could find someone screaming not what because are you it's saying your about bad my neighborhood, neighborhood rick <laughs> that it's awful <laughs> no that but in anywhere you could go and find this exact same kind of horrible dynamic happening between you know an abusive couple and that's what makes this feel so real he's being such a horrible jerk in this moment for no reason and it's really sad that Shelley Duvall's character is such a weak, weak character because she doesn't stand up to any of it. She crumples the moment he does anything. And yeah. it's, it really just yanks the pity out of you. Like, wait, wait, if you well, have. No, it, but it's, it's really sad because she's, she's also a sweet character. Exactly. In the way that she cares for her son and in the way that she's interested in what her husband's doing. Like, yeah. she's, you know, she's making him breakfast. She's checking to see you know oh hey how's it how's it going is your work going well i can bring you some food like she's just a very sweet and kind character well and she i, also, I almost it hurts think, to see her be abused this way i almost think it it not not to pick on you i just feel like weak character might not be the right choice I mean, of words because I mean, weak, she's a weak terms, person at this yeah, exactly. point in i don't the movie. mean weak character the way that i might say like a character that is poorly created is a weak character i mean weak as in she has no power she is absolutely weak exactly yeah yeah, and I, like we see like earlier in the movie when she's talking to the social worker and they like mentions like, oh, well, has there been any abuse? It's like, oh, well, you know, it, it's she's happened so one... apologetic to him. And, and it's he just literally like... ripped his arm out of his socket and mm-hmm. she plays it up as best she can and just one of those well, things. She, she explains well, it away as, you know, it's like parents do all the time with their kids. He just, you know, just got just, a little rough, I and, guess. And this is another thing that Stephen King hated just to bring that back in. Like he hates the way Wendy is portrayed in this movie because it's very different from character he had the character he had does have some backbone and is actually a decent mom because the the thing with with wendy is that she is very sweet and very caring but she should have gotten out of this probably a lot earlier than you know when she ends up doing well, well but, but, but also like in that, i mean it, like she she like accepts his oh he'll never do it again and all that and she th- like the way she's apologetic for what jack did and the way that she crumples any time that she like has him yell at okay, her or anything. Gotcha. That's what I'm kind of talking about is that like it's pretty clear that at least in my mind that she is like it's going to take a lot to get her to leave and it's going to literally take him trying to murder them. But which, which feels like it could happen any time now because of the way he's blowing up at her just for asking how he's doing. Mm-hmm. Like like this is in this is an insane reaction yeah. on his part. Especially considering that all he's writing is all work and no play make Jack a dull boy right. this whole time for all we know. Yeah, I was going to say for all we know. Like he might have been at some point switched over to that. I don't know. 
Um, I think it's cr- kind of creepier if he just like has like almost unknowingly like a just like state once almost. He, yeah. yeah, like once he gets there, he's just like Ooh. yeah. Because yeah. they do bring up he hasn't gotten a lot of work done several like weeks or months in already, and he's not sleeping and that kind of thing. Yeah, but. I think for me, the, the highlight of the scenes that comes around here, it's a little later, but we can move on a little bit more because we've talked, Jack goes crazy. It's yeah. what the movie's about. Um, but I the love that room? scene where he first walks into that gold room yes. and he like it, it sits at the bar and says, I want to like, just, I want to drink so bad. And he's rubbing his face. And there's that moment where his eyes are, are like his fingers come out over his eyes and you see the moment he locks on to the bartender that's there. And he accepts it as reality in that moment. And that's for me, the moment where he has gone beyond normal crazy into, okay, we're going to turn this, this is where where we're going to start cranking that dial and we're not going to stop cranking until it's done. I, I I really, really enjoy these go, these ghost scenes, the gold room scenes. I mean, they are are kind of ghost scenes. I was, I was going to bring up like the, you mentioned earlier, like, I don't like those like ghost movies, but this to me is a lot more, like terrorizing ter- terrorizing this is a lot more terrifying to me on like a primal level because it feels so alien whereas a ghost movie while it's got its its haunted house thrills which are perfectly valid it's ultimately people hiding under bedsheet movies also like well, it, see, it's, it's this, goofy this is where with... we disagree cuz i don't see these as ghosts every time i've watched this this movie i've always thought of this as hallucinations because he's going crazy I mean, the two are not mutually exclusive. I mean, it's very clear that these are historical figures that have that were at this place at some point, but that could be inspired by him having seen those pictures on the wall if, or stuff I think like it, that. It has to be both. I mean, on a certain level, how it is. does he get out of the refrigerator? I mean, there's clearly some supernatural thing happening here. Danny couldn't do the things that Danny does throughout the movie if that were not true. Yes. Um, so there's clearly a supernatural which, which element. Which things could Danny not do? He couldn't know his dad had gotten the job early. He couldn't have seen events that were going to happen before he... Specific events that were going to happen before sure. he got there. But, he couldn't have called Dick to them. But but again, he, but those I attribute to the psychic power, to the shining, not to specific other entities. Like, I don't think there's like some oh, well, I mean, messenger ghost if it's, going between if it's them. Just what's, and I what also there is don't that think if there's if it's just what uh, the house on its own had to have done, it's get it's get Jack out of the freezer, right? And and that and again that I think is the you know they talk about this place has the shining as yeah. well, and so that's where I think like the house is psychic and like the house just unlocked itself. I mean, I don't think that there's like some third party ghost that came and unlocked well, I the think door it, for him. I think it's a lot like what happens to Jack at the end of the movie. At the end of the movie he dies there and he in a real way kind of fulfills what they say what the house says about him through uh, Grady in that you've, you've always, always been, been the take you've always been here. You've always been the caretaker. Yeah. I think that people get trapped there in some sense if they die there which is like I think that's what happened to the to the lady that's dead in the tub. She killed herself in that tub and you know that's what happened. And the butler who killed his daughters. Exactly. And killed himself. Um and he ends up becoming part of that party. It's theoretically possible that that party is all the people that the house has like somehow manipulated over the years. Yeah. Sure. And that's that's the way that I take it. So it is it in that sense is both they are ghosts because it's still them and their their sort of spirit there, but it's the house that is uh, giving Collecting them form, people. giving them power, that kind of thing. Right. And, and I think that's the way I viewed it where it was this is the house that's collected them through its psychic 
evilness or yeah. whatever. As opposed to normally when you think of a ghost house, you think there are ghosts possessing this house. Yeah. The house is just where the ghosts hang out. Right. Like, this is their chilling it's grounds. It's not the location that matters. It, it's ex- the ghost. Exactly. That... And so for me, it's a reversal of that, which which is why you know you bring up like oh i'm curious why you didn't want to see you know the exorcist as opposed to this movie because there's ghosts in both or whatever i'm not mm-hmm. sure i haven't seen the exorcist Maybe but for not. me it's <laughs> sure but for, but for me it's there are not like there's not a hundred different dudes like spirits wandering around it's one house who's got all this evil energy or psychic power or whatever you want to call it from all of these people who have died there and through through causing him to go crazy, he's just imagining all of these things happening. I mean, huh. I think that okay. I, th- I, mean, I think that is actually pretty possible, and like that, that's, that's, that's how I read I, into it. And I think that is kind of what I like about it, like that the movie has enough breadcrumbs for different ex- ways for you to work around like the explanation that seems to make the most sense to each individual person watching the movie. You could even but break I from your way feel- to him faking the moon landing. Yes. <laughs> oh my gosh. But uh. I, I but there's also that element of I, I'm obviously going to like my interpretation the most where it's that they both have to be true. The house has shining but there's also the fact that the house is haunted. I consider that fact. Um, but your, your explanation sounded sound as well and I like that Stanley Kubrick was confident enough to definitely have enough pieces in place in the movie that there is one whole story and you get the basics, but there's also, but how did that happen? And he doesn't fully give us that. It's sort of like how we went along with the, the shining happening with the, do you want some ice cream bit in the beginning? It just feels alien and weird and we don't know why, but that's what spurs the interest. That's what spurs the fascination. And there's, there's two things that I, that are, uh, like clearly things where where it's not Danny or uh, Jack going crazy. It's whenever the it unlatches mm-hmm. the the room for him, and whenever the attack happens on Danny, because Danny specifically says it was the lady in room two thirty seven. Those are the two instances that kind of like like I would have preferred if they would have kind of left some like those two things out, or at least where Danny. Um, says like oh no it's the lady in room 237 we didn't bring that up at all or you know Shelly Duvall like just didn't lock it she just put something in front of the door like I would have I would have I would have enjoyed it more and in the fact that it's just like is he literally has he just gone crazy or is this some sort of supernatural power for that 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 the house has that would have made it much less interesting to me I hate that kind of uh, I hate that kind of uh uh, what's the word I'm looking ambiguity? for? Ambiguity? Yeah, I hate that ambiguity. That kind of ambiguity. That's not interesting to me. I want to be told a story. I don't want to make up my own story. No, but you're only talking about like, stories. But there's times I'm when saying, uncertainty like, in a story is interesting. There are. There are. I'm just saying, for me personally, that would have made this story much less interesting. But so, there is tons of ambiguity in this movie already. Sure. And but I know I the think... basic idea of what's going on. Like Those ambiguities I can read into in a specific way. It's not something as huge as as did anything happen at all or are they just crazy like that but is see, that's, that is that's what perfect blue was no like, it was not me, it's not to me it was because every scene could be written off as well maybe that didn't happen and this movie it's just little details that movie to me was about 
one person going crazy in some form or another. We can argue about the details of what that insanity entailed, but the insanity is what is happening on screen. In this movie, it's about a psychic kid in a psychic house that is being terrorized and driven crazy. Like, that is very different to me than a movie where a guy goes stir-crazy and tries to kill his family. Well, I bring that up not to, like, disprove you wrong on your previous review of that movie. It's very apparent that we all disagreed on it. But (laughs) my the reason why I brought it up is because you specifically said when we watched that that there were a lot of questions you didn't know the answers to, and you said that there were questions you were interested in in talking about. There were questions right. you were interested in pondering over, and they were crucial questions to figuring out how several pieces of the movie fit together. Sure. There are giant holes that are only explainable by, I think that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And that's that's all, I think that's like exactly what Binge is bringing up. It's like, we think that's what happened. And that that that, that is cool to think about. And I think there's already tons of that in this movie that is good. I would hate to have to sit there and argue whether or not this movie had any supernatural elements in it. It would be... Well, no, it's clearly it be, supernatural because of... But that's to me what it sounded like you were trying to take no, away. No, 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 I want to make keep... it clearly supernatural. Like, you want that ambiguity of are they crazy or... Well, no, I, I want to keep in the supernatural, but I also... I kind of want it to be very specific to Danny and Dick Halloran and leave it ambiguous to what is happening to Jack. That is the only thing I would prefer to be ambiguous. Is he actually going insane and all these things that are happening, he is the only one seeing them. I would, I personally would prefer, is he going insane or is the house making him go crazy? Like that question, that and even an that, I, mean, I, think that's, I think that's still pretty arguable on I, both sides of it. Like, I think I. But here's the question: Do you like that or not? That I like. If it's only if we're arguing, okay, this movie could just be there are no supernatural elements, and everything we see that appears to be supernatural is someone losing their mind, or there are clear I, supernatural. Like, elements. No, I, I, I think that that specifically, would... specifically for right. Jack, and is yeah. the is the house haunted? That's a different question. That is that yeah. is, that that's what I'm getting. I was like, I would prefer if it was ambiguous as to is the house haunted or not hmm. well, um, and, and, and I, I think and that I is what you guys fun. are saying because I can understand like Rick you appreciate having a solid framework that you can understand all the pieces of and then the way that the different walls of that framework come into play can be different as long as you understand here are the rules of the house that this movie is trying to build exactly whatever that is yes. right and and personally I like a little bit of that ambiguity where you're not sure like I like that I have a different opinion of how Jack's going crazy than you guys do. Sure, yeah. Right? Um, Because it gives you a personal connection to the movie as well as an emotional connection to the movie. It does. And but I think okay, to keep us on track, um, this does bring us to the next big piece, which is Danny shows up, obviously freaked out because he's gone into room two thirty seven, and he's got like choke marks on his neck. His his sweater is clearly torn. torn, The last time we saw him was him walking in there, and then we're after faking the Apollo eleven moon landing, face sucking his thumb like. Something traumatic has happened. And then we go to Shelley Duvall finding Jack Nicholson having this horrible nightmare about murdering her and Danny. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, this whole thing is excellently crafted. I I love how all of this comes together. All the pieces work together so So are we solid in camp Jack did not strangle Danny? Yes. Yes. I'm not 100% strangled in that camp. I'll put it this way. If Jack... They... Jack's physical body may have been. I could see Jack's physical body being used to do the physical harm. I think but the house if used the house, Jack to strangle Dan- Danny. If that's the case, it I, was the house acting through Jack's unconscious body. I don't believe no. Jack at this point 
chose to hurt Danny. I think that later he will make that choice. I think, no, it's honestly, speci- it's I think Jack because... might have an unhealthy relationship with Danny, but I, I do think he genuinely cares for Danny. Yeah. But I also think he's also very abusive to Danny. And well, I, I think, think it's he's... interesting how we don't see what Danny sees in the room. And how from then on out and even into the gold scene after, we're just following Jack. So we don't know exactly what or who told Shelly about the girl. It could have been Danny or it could have been Tony. She she literally says Danny said it was Or Tony in 230. But we didn't see him say it to her. We didn't get the story from him. And we already know that the house is making Danny see things. Like, he's seeing the flooding elevators. He's seeing these creepy kids. And the... But but he easily could... The house easily could have let him see some creepy old woman. And it's also possible that it... Another interesting clue that I think was was interesting to me anyway is that Jack is playing with this yellow tennis ball, like a scene prior. And the thing that leads him into room 237 is the same tennis ball. And I just think that means something. Well, no, he's playing with the tennis ball like super early in the movie. And then he's throwing his tennis ball. Well, yeah, but anyway. I, it's not like it's I don't it's not one scene to the next where he has the tennis ball. Well, it's, fair, it, it's, but it's the last time we months. saw the tennis it ball, it was patched. Jack using yeah, it. Yeah, I know, but yeah. Jack was like running riding around on a Tony Hawk skateboard, and then all of a sudden, out of room two thirty seven, a Tony Hawk skateboard comes yeah, flying. I It'd would be like I would assume. That's okay, somehow I'm going to assume there's a connection there. Yeah, exactly. Well, no, but I I because because of Danny's powers, I don't believe that he is able to like he has visions. But he's not being manipulated like Jack is. I don't think he would be would have been manipulated into seeing something that wasn't true, other than just like him getting like visions and stuff. Well, like that. even Dick told him straight up, like you know that to be aware that the things that he would see are not real because they're often visions of the past or visions of the future, so that he should not get scared. And he reiterates that when he sees the twins and says, "Remember what." But Mr. Whatever told me this isn't real. So like the house is manipulating him mm-hmm. in a way. And it's clearly luring him there, I think, in, in, from what I'm seeing of the mm-hmm. movie. Something that you brought up briefly, Chris, that I, I really liked about this movie was that when you uh, when Jack is talking about Danny, he says, I love that kid. I would do anything for that kid. And even when the house is turning Jack on his family, it's doing it in terms of you, they need to be corrected. It's doing it that in a very menacing way. But the angle that it's coming at yeah. through to his head is something that could be construed in a positive way. And normally would. Butler. Yeah, exactly. When he's talking to him and he's saying they need to be corrected. It's interesting to me that I mean, clearly the way that the movie frames it, the way that he says it, everything about that is designed to tell you when I say corrected, I mean murder. Yeah. But it's the you can see the way through an insane lens that he clearly must have because he is clearly insane at this point that he thinks he is doing somehow good for them. Yeah. Um, I think that's an, a really interesting thing about it. And it's it's weird that scene too where he says that because it's on the one hand it is you know a little tender but it's also terrifying mm-hmm. because because he's talking about his own daughters that he just like that oh the, no no, no. The I'm talking I'm still talking about the scene where Jack's talking to Danny oh and okay, and, okay. and he's like oh D- Danny here I love you and he like kisses him but there's that music playing right and Danny does not seem like he wants to go to his dad yeah. but he does because it's his dad who told him to come here and when he says you would never hurt us right his first response is not what of course not it's what do you mean and that 
like, yeah. so many layers to their relationship <laughs> yeah. that I find fascinating. So one of the things that does actually really annoy me about this movie is that we spend so much time with Dick Halloran coming back to the place just for him to wander around for about 30 seconds and get hit in the chest with an axe. And I can see an argument being made for, like, it's building up this audience expectation that he's the way out and that he'll help them. And he does actually bring the the snow cat that will let them escape since Jack messed up theirs. But it's so annoying just when you know that's what's coming. Like, it's so weird to just sit there and be like, I know you're not going to do crap, so why do we have to spend so much time with you? But on the first watching, you don't know that. That's fine, but again, even the- it's more important to me that I can come back to a movie and rewatch it than the first watching I get tricked. Sure, but on the first on the first watching, it's a subversion of expectations. And also, sure. for if me, you... it was the opposite experience because the first time I watched it, I had that experience, even you know, not knowing what was going to happen next. I was like, "What a stupid guy!" But this this time watching it, I I even commented, I was like, "This is so much for me." Like, I I felt a lot of dread because I just really didn't want it to happen. And I think it's possible to even know if a character's actions might not ultimately matter. If you do care about them, then it, it doesn't matter that you know what the outcome is. And I will say that Dick's is such a charming character that it is easy to have a lot of empathy for him and feel bad for him as he's about to be murdered. It's just annoying that it is so pointless. And it's... We spend like at least twenty minutes of the movie with him just trying to get there. Not twenty minutes. We go back to him a lot. Like it may not be twenty minutes, but there is a significant portion of the time where we come back to him for like the third time when he's on the telephone trying to get in contact with them. why, Why would we use the word pointless? I guess is my question. Because he is so ineffectual. He does nothing but deliver a snowcat so that when they escape Jack at the end of the movie, they can literally escape the hotel. Could you not say the same thing about like some of the visions Shelley Duvall sees later though? Like they don't really accomplish anything, but they do have an emotional impact. But that's and doesn't what, that have weight? Yes, but that's a, that is a uh, piece of scenery doing its intended purpose, not a character doing nothing. So, but here, but this character you could view in the same way. Like, it still communicates dread and terror because we know that there's a lurking threat. And we also know that he doesn't know where it is. It we also care about that. this character because it's their way out. It and so it's sad when he dies. It is definitely sad. It's not scary. I'm annoyed at this point that I've had to spend this much time with it and that I knew where it was going and it was going to go nowhere. I don't know. I, I, just, I, mean, I had a different response. I can understand that. I really can because it is very easy to empathize with dick because scatman puts in a really good performance i think so it's easy to feel really really bad and to really not want what's going to happen to happen to him and and, and that maybe alone... that is only built through the amount of time we see him uh weighing his options trying to think of another way trying to not go there and then ultimately making the decision to go there maybe you could you could make that argument so but maybe for that's me... an interesting thing to, to ask like if we cut out all of the transport scenes and he just showed up and he's like, hello? Anyone here? I'm not going to argue I, We for, hadn't heard anything. Like, uh, would that be better to you? I'm not going to argue that we need to cut out all of them, but some Significant of them. portion. And you think that would be better? It would work better for me personally because I wouldn't have to just sit there every time he's sitting there coming back to the to the phone and calling the guy and being so polite on the, on the thing while they're, you know, on the verge of getting murdered out there. Like, it just, it cuts into the tension. It, it takes it away from me, so... 
I really, really like the scene where he's chopping down the door and he is getting ready to kill Shelley Duvall and he gets called away for all this. I think that's her, in a lot of ways, her highlight of the movie. Because that's the scene that everyone thinks of when they think of this movie. I think. Oh, yeah. And the, the ad-libbed line, the here's Johnny. Yeah. Like, that, that is classic. Yeah. Oh, and it's, I mean, honestly, it's, it's gone down in cinema history. And it deserves to because it is genuinely such a good moment. Real quick, I want to know, what do you think about the other weird things that just happened in the house? Like like the old lady in room uh, 237. 237 and the dude getting head from a bear? I mean, So that has, I think, a very disturbing context because we see he's in like a bear costume. There's only one other bear in the movie, and it's actually on a blanket that Danny's sleeping on, and his head is right next to at the beginning, and it's Mm -hmm. while he's talking to the therapist about if Tony makes him do things. And I do think that given the fact that they have an abusive relationship, there is some interesting... It may not be fully implied that it's a sexual abusive relationship, but abuse is definitely another thing that I think is happening there. That's a reach for me, yeah. Um, I, oh, I no, say it's this. the only it's like the exact same looking face on that you, on that cartoon blanket thing. And I just think that's so. interesting. This this is what I'll say. Um, as someone who's read the book, both of those uh, ghosts have specific backstories and specific things that are expanded on more in the book. And so I know sort of what's going on with both of those things. So. A, I mean, ju- you don't have to go super into it, but the, just the a little old, context because it feels so because also it feels so weird and out of place. Kubrick I mean, didn't care for King's original script, and he still left it in the movie. I mean, the old lady was someone who killed herself because she was aging and lost her beauty, and that's why you see her as super hot first, and then you see her for what she was when she died, and she rotted in that thing in that uh, bathtub because no one found her for a few days. The other guy was one of the previous owners of the hotel, and he was a super weird, creepy, screwed up dude who was really into S&M with costumes. And that, I mean, that's the only context we have for it? I mean, there there's stories about those people okay. that are told kind of through, like, backstory of the hotel. Still, it's just, it's, it's really weird to just see because you just get, oh, like, yeah. a glimpse of if it. You don't, if you don't have any of that context, it's super unnerving, and you have to sit there and going, wait, did I just see that? Is that what I just, did, yeah. was that a guy with a, a butt flap on his bear costume blowing a dude? What? Nah, no. Yeah, it's it's super weird. Especially I, when you go, there's no hole in that mask. How is he doing anything? <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I know that that's taken away from the actual final chase and everything. It's yeah. just so no, out it of is place. A big part of it. I had like, to ask yeah. because you've read the book. I had yeah. to ask why is this in here? Yeah, it's so. just more okay. creepy ghost stuff. It's more backstory of awful things that have happened in the hotel. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Um. And so, but you know, this final chase with him in the snow. Oh man, this this honestly, this is the most tense for me because. I don't know how good Danny's going to be at getting out of this maze. Right. And so we see him outpacing Jack because Jack's limping, mm-hmm. chasing after him But with Jack's the axe. still coming after him fast. He like, is. Even for a limp. And he I mean, he's still... yelling at him like, mm-hmm. Danny, I'm going to get you. And that he's kind of just thing. killed. Like the axe he has still has Dick's blood on it. Like, yes. I'm. This makes me so nervous because when Danny covers his tracks and goes down a different hallway, mm-hmm. That's when Jack just starts kind of roaming, and yeah. we don't know because when Jack is following his footsteps, we, we have know a sense that of... we know that okay, he's on the same path that Danny is, and he's not going to catch up to him as long as Danny can keep going faster. But when they start just going, when they split and go different ways, you just don't know. Like it's constantly, is he going to get? Is he going to run into him around this corner? Yeah, and honestly, the the most tension for me in the movie comes in this chase scene in the in the yeah. uh, hedge maze. It's fantastically love... put together. 
I love the motif of how like Jack's been using his brawn throughout this whole climax, just like chopping down doors and like chasing down Shelly Duvall and Danny. And uh, but Danny gets him and his mom out of it by using his head. And technically, he's been using his head the whole movie, but he's been using his head to like ask for help and try to figure out what the next thing that's going to happen to them is. But here he uses his head to get himself out of his present situation. I just think that's really cool. And it's it's it adds such a layer to the climax when Jack's chasing him and he's on that trail. But then when you realize that Jack's just a wild animal at this point, that the, the fight's already won, but it doesn't take away the tension because the animal's still out there yeah. and he yeah. could just take a wrong turn and there he is mm-hmm. definitely it's so good uh and then shelly duvall finally gets out there just as danny's escaping the mm-hmm. hedge maze and mm-hmm. i like that we don't see them like get to safety we just see them escape the immediate situation and then it cuts to us zooming in on that photo and getting closer and well, closer we also see well yeah face. yeah, yeah you, you see yeah. him oh, you see him that he's clearly died obviously but i like that that doesn't like we cut to the next day we don't know what happened to shelly duvall and and danny like they easily could have gotten lost in the mountains and froze even yeah. as a kid when i saw this like that Image. hard cut messed me up i was like oh <laughs> nope like yeah. there's not even like i don't think there's even like a sting to go with it it just there, there is, it is there is and, a sting okay yeah well, I missed it then. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you're very caught in the moment. Yeah. Um, it is such a solid ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially Frozen solid. Hey. <laughs> but I, I love that final zoom in, especially with the words, he's always been the caretaker here. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that's really cool. And that, honestly, that is the piece that messes with my, it's just a house and he's going delusional kind of thing. The fact that he's in that photo, I don't know how to explain that because he, like, it's obvious that it's from far enough back he should be dead just from old age by this mm-hmm. point. Yeah, and so that's twenty, right? Yeah. And so that's the piece where it's like, okay, he can't have been a ghost either because he had a life outside of this house, mm-hmm. outside of the hotel. So that, like, that's the one that just it's freaky and I like it, but it just doesn't fit with anything else. Yeah, and for me, it it fits perfectly with my theory, so I like it. <laughs> Honestly, if it weren't for the picture, I'd be more tempted to believe that it's like that. There's no hauntings, but the picture is just like there. There has to be like something going on there. Like it's just mm-hmm. there has to at least be an element connected to the house, or I don't know. It's just it's too much and it's too weird and it's just. It's fascinating. Right. It's such a great way to end the movie because it's it's ambiguous to get us to ask fun questions that don't really compromise the experience of watching the movie either. Because yeah. I do hate those. I, I I don't like spinning tops at the end of Inception. <laughs> I, 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 100% I, agree. I, I like things like this where it's like, here's a little detail. It's like, wait, what does that mean? End. Like, that's the point. You need to figure it out for yourself. Like, <laughs> I think that's cool. What, what would you say is the difference between those two? Is it just that because this top doesn't spin like it you don't know so, where the ending is going or it, i think honestly i hope this doesn't open up a big can of worms but i think almost an even better comparison would be the ending of perfect blue which is like nope it's been me the whole time and for me that whole movie i was already asking you know what is really you the whole time like what is real the whole time did mm-hmm. any of these things happen by the end of the movie i'm thinking maybe none of this happened period and to to have that stinger at the end just emphasized what was already the experience of the movie, but with a question mark. And I was like, that's just frustrating. Hmm. But the 
point in this movie is that Danny and his mom got away. That's not changed by the fact that Jack's in a picture. The story is but complete. It changes. Yeah, the story's complete, but it does add this whole other element of what does it mean, you know? Right. Okay. And I like to ask what things mean. It's it's why I it's why I defend art films because I think that's their intent, you know? <laughs> whatever. Like you guys don't like them, yeah. whatever. I knew I was going to get sized there. I can, I but it's why I like them. It's, it's I agree. I, I think I the good ones do that and they don't do things where I also don't like movies with with twist endings that betray the experience prior to watching it either, you know, where it's sort of the same thing for me. Yeah, I can see that. Um, And you know what? I'm not going to get into an art movie rant. Um, (laughs) (laughs) That's another discussion for another time. Exactly. I think this is a good time to get into our final thoughts. I I can start. And uh, Rick, since you picked the movie, why don't you go last? That'll work. Uh, Seeing as you, this was your choice for our October month of spooks to the electric spookaloo. Um, (laughs) I still really enjoy this movie. Uh, as I said in the intro, this was really the first horror movie that I saw and and enjoyed. Before this, I'd kind of written off the entire genre. But it's such a masterfully crafted movie that you can't help but appreciate it. Uh, my favorite part of this movie is the, the music and the sound direction. Uh, I think that if the music hadn't been as strong as it was, that honestly, I think the movie would have fallen apart. Um, just because so much of the tension that's built isn't just through the performances. So much of that is driven by the music. Um, my least favorite part of the movie is just personal nitpicking. It's not actually a bad part of the movie. It's just something that I don't like. And it's something we didn't touch on. But, dadgum, Shelly Duvall does not know how to hold a baseball bat. <laughs> and it pissed me off so bad. when she. It's like, oh my goodness. Because she's backing her way up the stairs trying to defend herself from Jack. It's like and, she got and, screamed and at by a Little League coach to right, choke and, up well, too many it's, times. It's a, great, it's a great scene, but the way she's holding the baseball bat is constantly giving me that feeling of wanting to shout at the screen, like, don't go into that room kind of thing. It's like, just choke up. Like, come on. <laughs> don't choke up. You need to do the reverse. You need to get further choke down. Whichever down. is the appropriate one. Choke right? down. Hold the baseball bat like a bat and not like Darth Maul's lightsaber. <laughs> like, honestly. That's a good way of describing it, Thanks. Josh. I'm glad I came up with it, Chris. <laughs> My original joke. It happened during the movie, in case you're wondering. <laughs> but I, it's so nitpicky. It's it not a bad part of the movie. It's just something that annoyed me. Because I'm like, just come on, just hold it right. Like, I'm shouting at the TV. That's just me. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall, it's, I mean, it's a solid, solid movie. I really enjoy it. I'm giving it four and a half red rums out of five. Uh, Benj, oh. do you want to go next? Sure, I can go next. Uh, I really enjoyed this movie. I have enjoyed it pretty much every single time I've watched it. Um, like Stanley Kubrick does an amazing job at uh, building tension throughout this entire movie, and every small detail throughout the entire movie like helps to build that tension. My favorite thing about this movie is probably his direction, being able to get performances out of all of the characters even in really cruel ways <laughs> in, in extremely cool cruel ways um extremely but, cool ways you mean hey sorry go on <laughs> sorry shelly <laughs> <laughs> uh but it's like his direction throughout this entire movie is what makes it like I, like stephen king made made the same same thing but it held it true to its original work and it wasn't like was not good uh, by any stretch of the imagination. And this, like, his vision brought this story to life in a way that I don't think could have been done by another director. 
Um, so I, I like props go all to him. Um, as far as the least uh, favorite thing, I just don't like some of the house being the creepy thing. I would prefer it if it was just a little bit more ambiguous as far as if the house was the one doing stuff or if it was Jack going insane. Um, that's just being me being nitpicky as well um, and just a preference of my own. Uh, as far as the rating, I would have to give it uh, probably the same thing, four and a half out of five red rums. Like This movie is as close to a perfect horror movie or suspense movie or whatever you want to classify it as 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 you can really get so that brings it to me yep. um which is hopefully you know I, I i'm like embarrassed by younger me I, I couldn't believe how much i ended up liking it um because i really did not like it much at all uh earlier in life and i said lukewarm earlier because I just sort of had a genuine general respect for it from all the things I'd learned that went on behind the scene. I was like, wow, they put a lot of effort. That's really cool. But now that I know the, that information and I'm watching it, I just feel like I'm in a better place to appreciate the movie for what it is. Uh, my favorite thing about this movie is just the massive amounts of detail that were put into every single frame of this movie every every space every uh the the colors on the walls are used in a way that is meant to be effective and evocative the the color theory is a major part of how this movie works on subconscious in a very real tangible and measured way and there's a ton of details that we just didn't have time we to just get didn't into. have time to talk about there's them. literally a movie about details to this movie the uh jack uh all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy is translated into completely different sentences for completely different cultures. I'll just read off a few real quick. In Italian, it's the morning has gold in its mouth. In German, it's never put off until tomorrow. What can be done today? In Spanish, it's no matter how early you get up, you can't make the sun rise any sooner. In French, it's what you have is worth much more than what you will have, that which is my secretary. favorite. <laughs> That's poor yeah, <laughs> she did that like five times in other languages. That poor so wait, they actually have like a different like had that acted yeah. out with different you know Shelly Duvall reacted that like did, <laughs> did the same scene but to entirely different stacks of papers <laughs> well it's just the insert so not not 100% but still like that's yeah. crazy like and and the paper it's white in the beginning and it becomes yellow over time to imply that the thing that was once pure has now become tainted by something within the house like but also that's just how paper ages but it wouldn't age that fast just like th that's insane who thinks of those things only insane people like Stanley Kubrick think of these things and man damn it i it's just so good uh my least favorite thing about it probably honestly two of the scenes in the beginning that were heavy on exposition they like the jack's interview i feel like goes on maybe a little too long and even the therapist monitoring danny in the beginning goes mm. i think a little too long and it's a little heavy-handed but even then like i hardly any deducted points for that i just yeah. feel like it was kind of a necessity for getting us in the right place for the movie it's just embarrassing to think that it, what like, would he, I, what would young you have scored this movie like a three a three maybe. that's still not terrible but it's yeah that it, doesn't get into like good and it's because there were scenes that genuinely creeped me out i loved the maze when i was younger i loved the uh uh i loved like the here's johnny climax but i just felt thought most of it was boring and pointless and now yeah. that i see points everywhere I, I feel like i have to give it five like it's like it, i feel like i would only be giving it four and a half because i'm embarrassed <laughs> by thinking it was imperfect when i was younger but i was wrong so I, I think it's 
I think it's kind of perfect. I'm so weirded out by this. All right. Anyway, but yeah, five out of five. Uh, red rums. Blood Hallways red rums. Yep. Five out of five red rums. My experience of this movie has been in stages. I've watched, I watched the movie, then I read the book, and then I watched the movie again. Um, there's been, you know, multiple watchings of the movie in, in that space, but you get the idea. Uh, so my experience of the movie is going to be irrevocably not tainted, but in, influenced, influenced by having read that book. Um, and it's a very, very good book. It has a lot of strengths that this movie doesn't. My, my least favorite thing about this movie is, is definitely influenced by the book. And it's the fact that Jack is to me in a lot of ways, very unsympathetic because he feels so crazy from the beginning. Um, but even that's not necessarily a flaw that to me is almost as nitpicky as Josh's thing about the bat. Like it's, it's on that level for me of it does enhance the movie. It's just not necessarily the movie that I personally would have preferred so i don't even know if i can really count that as against it my favorite thing about this movie is the level of nuance that's present throughout it to give my personal favorite specific example uh it's gonna have to be you know what i talked about with with jack you know really caring about danny in the house using a good thing to use to get him to kill his family um i think that's really really interesting if i was giving this a score based on how good of an adaption it is it would get a low low score because in a sense this is a terrible adaptation of stephen king's story it is so different in ways that massively change the story it's the opposite of uh what it was if you listen to my review of that but at the same time this is a fantastic movie it is excellent so I'm not going to rate it based on its sco- its power as an adaptation. I'm going to try and look at it as itself. Well, this is almost like a movie that is, says it's based on true events, and you find out it's like, oh, that's because yeah. like one yeah. minor well, character well, no, was it's inspired not like that, by the there Stephen are, King Jake Gyllenhaal wasn't really there. <laughs> they, I mean, they are overall very, very similar stories, but mm-hmm. it shows you the power that nuance and detail can give to the direction a story takes and what a story says. So um, I am going to give this four and a half blood elevators out of five. I think this is an excellent movie. I think that there are just a few little nitpicky things that hold it back for me personally from being a five star. But I think a five star is an entirely reasonable uh, rating to give this. It's an excellent, excellent movie. If you are, have, if you enjoy horror at all, you need to see this movie. Wow, that this has been an incredibly highly rated movie. I will say that it's been a ton of fun recording this October month of spooks to the Electric Spookaloo with all of you guys. I really enjoyed it. I think our listeners will as well. And if they enjoyed no, they this, already have. They have. It's and happened. if they've enjoyed this October month of spooks, they should check out the first October month of spooks oh, that we recorded. Uh, and they can find that on our website at opinionatedpodcast.com. Additionally, we're on social media at OpinionCast on Twitter and Opinionated Podcast on Facebook. You can reach out to us on our email address, OpinionatedMovieReviews at gmail.com. We always love hearing from you guys, especially as we wrap this up. We're about to go into our listener request month. We're each going to pick what we think is one of the strongest suggestions from what you guys send us. Uh, And in November, we're going to be picking four of those movies and doing reviews on them based on what you guys recommend to us. Uh, So feel free to shoot us an email and let us know what you think. Uh, We're going to be taking submissions for that through the end of October this year. And if you're a fan of Stranger Things and are excited about the new season that is coming out the same day that this podcast is being released, you should check out our previous shows that came out on Stranger Things. We did those last year. 
we didn't get a chance to release them then because mm-hmm. we were a little late on our editing, but we can release them now with the release of the new season. So check that out. See if you enjoy it. Yeah, honestly, I'm looking forward to it because it's a good excuse for me to get into and watch Stranger Things. I never sat down and watched it <laughs> last year when it came out, but everything about it looks so good for this new season coming out. You I'm should have check to sit out, down and watch it. Check out our reviews, Josh. I'm going to after I watch it. I don't want it to be spoiled for me. But the last little bit, uh, if you guys get a chance, please leave us a review on iTunes. That really helps us out and get out to new listeners. That's by far the best way we have of spreading our podcast out aside from you guys just recommending us to your friends. As always, we appreciate you guys listening. And until next time, we're opinionated. Thanks for listening.